Hello. It's good to be here with you uh, looking at God's Word. Fortunately, it has to be recorded, uh, and uh, but that's only for two weeks until we're able to come back in person and start studying God's Word together. But it's good to get started, at least, on our class, and that's going to be over the Gospel of John for this quarter. Now, um, I'd like to start out with a prayer, and then uh, we'll get into looking at the book of John. We bow with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do. Thank you for your word, which gives us so much wisdom. And thank you for all the different ways that you've provided your word for us. The, the Old Testament, the promises given to it, indicating your son and the Messiah to come. And thank you so much for the New Testament that shows those fulfillments of those promise, promises and the life of your son and the, the death of your son that sadly had to happen. But thank you so much for that happening for us to cleanse us from our sins, Father. Father, you are great and we, uh, we love you so much. We ask that you be with uh, those with COVID right now. And our, our numbers are getting high in the, even in the congregation. And we ask that you be with those who have it. And we pray for their speedy recovery. And we pray... Father, that their bodies uh, do what you have designed them to do, and that's to heal and to fight off the infection and to uh, to continue to do so. But ultimately, Father, we thank you for the the hope and the the faith that we have in you, and and the promise that no matter what happens on this earth, that we are destined for to be with you uh, as long as as long as we are faithful for to you. Thank you so much for that, Father. It's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> looking at John, um, well, not only looking at John, but throughout the Bible, we see God's genius and his foreplanning and his, his foreknowledge, his omniscience. And the Gospel of John, just another way that we see that. Each Gospel account has their own unique, their own unique traits and perspectives to it, but um, John is even more so different than the other ones. So it's very interesting, and it's going to be a good book to good book to look over and look through and get into. It uh, it it's one of the aspects of it, one of the traits of it is it doesn't cover major events that occur like the others do, and it's mostly about that personal time with individuals that Jesus had. It also goes into detail about Jesus's humanity the word becoming flesh and it being with us talks about how he was uh, weary and thirsty and tired and how he wept. And finally, uh, like the others do how he was tortured and then crucified. We'll be seeing that John uh, will be referred to and teaching us about the Holy spirit a, a little bit more than the other gospels do. And, and another thing that's interesting is that it doesn't, uh, mention the beginning of Jesus's life or the parables um, that he gave us. The author does mention, though, Jesus performing seven miracles. And that's kind of the pivotal moments going through the book. And it'll also be quoting Jesus's I am statement uh, seven times, indicating his identity, his divinity. And when you look at the book, it can actually be separated into a section of different proofs of Jesus' deity or his status as God. Now, the uh, the blended purpose there 
of taking Jesus' humanity while still being God is to educate the reader uh, enough to understand that God came down in human form. And <clears throat> the point of that being is that that would help combat some of the theological issues that were arising in the church, uh, the first century church, like Gnosticism. And now Gnosticism, and remember, if you remember, it's uh, their thing is, is knowing direct divine mystical knowledge. And that's one of their, their points there that, that's refuted multiple times in the New Testament uh, letters. And usually that knowledge is beyond scripture. Uh, and there's a specific form of it or a doctrine of it uh, called uh, docetism, which meant to seem. And the be basic belief was that the physical matter, well, for the Gnostics, Gnostics was the physical matter was evil. So God could not have come down and to become physical, which led to the belief that Jesus was, when Jesus came down, he was not here physically and it only seemed physical but was spiritual. That would lead down so many different uh, paths, uh, incorrect paths. And that would mean things that happened to him, especially the crucifixion, did not affect him physically, which is a major uh, point of Christianity is that he suffered and died for us. And sadly, there's other um, misguided paths of logic that Gnosticism took and uh, the various groups went down following that pathologic. So this book is uh, has some purpose of refuting that, it seems. Although the ultimate purpose of the book uh, is written, we see it in John, the end of the book in John 20, verse 31. And it says, it's being written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, one thing to mention that I neglected to at the beginning is that I will be reading from the uh, New King James Version uh, in case uh, there's some differences in the, the ones that you're reading from one, uh, what I'm reading. Now, the book of John is thought to have been um, composed about seven, or, sorry, 80 uh, to 90 A.D., which again is after the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in about 70 A.D. And so at that time, since the fall of Jerusalem, the Jews were dispersed all over. And um, you could see it as a call for Jews who were mourning the loss of the temple, the ritualistic sacrifices, the priesthood, and a call for them to look to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the prophecies, which the practices were just a shadow of the things to come. And that, that the things to come were here as Jesus that time had come. It was uh, most likely written in Ephesus. Um, the other synoptic gospels, uh, they had been around for a while. Cause we're talking again about after the fall, which of uh, Jerusalem, which happened. Um, the other synoptic gospels were already out at that point and had been around for a while. And people were familiar with them, um, familiar with the writings. Now, John, of course, being alive at this time, having, told people about his eyewitness accounts of Jesus, of, of his life orally. And I'm assuming he was asked by multiple people to document um, so that way uh, they would be preserved. And of course, so they could do like they had to do with the other uh, letters and copy them and send them out. 
So <clears throat> it's interesting because the book was written in Greek. And it was basic Greek, so it was very easy for, easy for people to read and understand. Uh, but it had knowledge that you'll see of Jewish history, it, uh, Jewish tradition, and the Palestinian geography. So uh, the way it was also written was it was an eyewitness because of uh, the person who wrote it was an eyewitness of the details of the accounts. And what a great help this uh, gospel would have been to those teaching others about it because of, again, how easy it is to read. It was Greek, so it was in a common language uh, for the time. So when it got copied and sent out, they would be able to use that to easily understand God's message and use that for educating others. Now we see that um, most likely, as most most uh, resources point to John, um, John the, the apostle uh, was the disciple who Jesus loved, is who was mentioned in there. But it's going to be the apostle, um, both internal and external evidence leaning heavily upon that being the author. And um, you also something about um, John, son of Zebedee, uh, is that his brother James, also another name from his Jacob, but. They were given the name, the the names, the sons of thunder. We see that in Mark three seventeen. They were named that, and it was possibly we see this possibly a name given because of what uh, is indicated about their passion, and we see that in Luke. And I'd like to turn over Luke real fast uh, when we before we we start on John, and in Luke chapter nine verse fifty one, we. Uh, and it's going to be chapter 51 through 56. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Uh, pretty powerful words uh, being rebuked by, by Jesus uh, for them. And... Uh, Again, that's a just a super brief, but that's an important lesson that I wanted to look at uh, that James and John learned that day, and, and it's still very applicable for us today. Uh, we as Christians are not called to retaliate against those who choose to reject God, and in that case, um, James and John were even rebuked for thinking about it. People, people must not be forced to or pressured into Christianity. God wants us to follow him by our own free will. And it's been that way from the beginning. So moving on, if you turn back over to John, um, we also see that the Apostle John was author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, along with Revelation. And it's, I think that lesson that we just talked about, um, we see that John learned that lesson pretty vividly. 
because that passion, uh, you see that changed from, um, well, being a son of thunder to a, a love, the love that he speaks about in his, in his writings is heavy. Uh, and so it's interesting to see that, that almost that change, uh, in Jonathan from, or John, excuse me, from the beginning into his writings. You obviously still see that passion for, for God, but, uh, that love is, is heavy. <clears throat> and in, uh, in Mark chapter one, verse 19 through 20, and also in Matthew, uh, we see Matthew chapter four, verse 21 through 22, we see Jesus calling John and his brother and they immediately follow him. Uh, didn't take much. They were just mending their net, their nets, uh, taking care of them after fishing or even before fishing. And, uh, Jesus came up to him and just said, follow me. And they immediately left, they left their father there working and they followed him. Um, so you can see that there's uh, they knew something was special about him enough to just drop everything they had and follow him. It's pretty impressive. Not too many people would do that. That leads us to starting off in John chapter one. Uh, I'd like to uh, look at just the first five verses uh, because there's so much in these first sections. Now the prologue, the there's the almost like the introduction to John is verses one through 18. And we're not even gonna be able to get through all of those uh, today because of, again, how much stuff is in here. But what a perfect place to start that it does. Let's go ahead and read verses one through five. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it or overcome it. Again, what a perfect place to start at the beginning. It takes us um, all the way back to Genesis. because We see similar words here being used and imagery. Um, life, light, darkness. This points to the creation of the universe. Again, the Old Testament. God said is used often throughout Genesis, and that was God's word. That was him speaking. Jesus, uh, we see that Jesus reveals that God uh, to us is just like, Jesus reveals God to us, just like one's word reveals himself to another, his character to another. It shows Jesus as having uh, here as having an eternal existence, being there before creation. Uh, he's there at creation and throughout history, not just existing um, during a set period of time on a timeline. He is timeless, unchanging, just as God is. We also read uh, by looking at that, we read the relationship between the word and God. Then we read about the relationship between the word and creation and a pivotal aspect of creation is life, but there are dual meanings there. Uh, it's not just the temporary physical life that we think about during that time of creation, but it's the eternal one 
that we were created for. Both the temporary and the eternal came through Jesus. And it's interesting because verse 5, the tense changed from the past tense to the present. Jesus is the light. It says, and light shines in the darkness. And so Jesus is that light and the contrast to the darkness, and he overcomes it. Let's continue on in uh, verse 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John, we see, we see John introduced here, John the Baptist. They didn't have to introduce him because of um, all the previous references to him throughout the New Testament time. Everyone during that day knew who John the Baptist was and his story. He was talked about in detail in the Gospels along with his purpose. And it talks about his purpose here. Here it tells us about John, how um, he came into a dark world. And it tells us that uh, he's talking about the light, but was not that light. It also tells us that he's just a man, uh, but still sent by God with a purpose. A purpose that was prophesied about that indicated the coming of the Savior. The difference between the two is emphasized just so there's no confusion between the two. Again, his purpose was to lead people to believe just like just like the purpose of the book. It's like, uh, and it's interesting because it's like the, the, the author, John, he's presenting a case. Uh, and John the Baptist is the first witness's testimony to be examined. And throughout the book, more and more evidence or witness accounts will be called up as proof of the truth of Jesus' deity. So it's like we're on trial here and we're listening to witness accounts. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting to go through and see it from that point of view. We see here that uh, Jesus, he is the true light. He's not a, he's not a dim light uh, composed of partial truths. Uh, that lead men away into the darkness and abandons them there for destruction. He is the authentic, the only, the bright burning light of all truth that expels the darkness of sin and shows men that path to light. Jesus is that only way to eternal life. He is the only light. We see that um, he wasn't well received. 
as we continue to read, we'll see some reasons that um, he was not well received. Some of those being that some love the darkness more than the light. Some gave into the pressure by others not to. Some did not have um, the facts, either by misinformation or not searching them out about the light. Some were immovable about their traditions, while others loved the praise of men more than that of God. These are all still reasons that come up that uh, people don't choose to follow God, sadly. But what would have looked like if he was well received? He would still have to die on the cross, of course. But it is an interesting thought about what would that would look like. But he was not well received by most of his creation. However, um, there were those that did receive him. And those that received him, believing in him, were given the right to become children of God. And we see that throughout, we see throughout this book and the rest of the scripture, when it talks about uh, belief, it's more than just believing in him. Belief in who Jesus is encompasses being obediently faithful to God's will. With that active faith, we have the right or the privilege given by God to be his children. It's not a merit that we, that we work for, for our salvation, like uh, some others teach. It's a gift. It's a gift from God that he had openly, that he openly has given and continues to give to all mankind. But it's a gift that needs to be accepted and instructions for it faithfully followed. It's not a, it's not a birthright that you're born with, given by bloodline, your physical birth, or the will of man. Again, driving it home, uh, here it, it talks to us about how to be a child of God, to gain that birthright, only God has the ability to give it, and it's through the Word of God. I'd like to look at uh, verse 14 here because, well, let's go ahead and read it first. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we're seeing the buildup uh, from the introduction that has come to completion. The unnamed, vague word being spoken about was Jesus. And you and I have to, under to uh, have that understanding. We knew that it was Jesus from the beginning. But as a new person reading it, the question about the word is answered there. The word became flesh. Jesus did not appear, he did not just appear in human form. He became like us to know us even more intimately and to have that connection 
with humankind. That gives him even more of an ability to advocate for the faithful, like he says he will do at the end, and judge the, the unfaithful then also. It dwelt among us. Um, that, that phrase there is literally meaning to pitch one's tent. And that brings us imagery of a temporary dwelling, also one of the tabernacle. Um, where, so we, first we have the imagery of the temporary dwelling. It's not permanent. He came here temporarily, uh, came here next to us, lived, and then moved on. And then we also see the imagery of the tabernacle, where God's presence was among men. He was God with us. Again, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And what a meaningful promise. The ability to talk with him, to touch him, and to be in the presence of God. The witnesses uh, that we're hearing from and are going to hear from got to intimately know the glory of God in a way that no one else alive has. And we see that Jesus was not one of lofty and unapproachable and not being approach, approachable at all, but a humble servant of God who was glorified in his death. <clears throat> wow. What a time. Um, what a time to be alive during that time and experience that. That would be... It's just, I can't, can't, it'd be, it'd be great. It'd be so amazing. Yet, at the end of John, we see um, that Jesus is going to tell Thomas, after Thomas wanted to see evidence of Jesus' resurrection in chapter 20, verse 29. And it says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. So they are they were very blessed to be able to be with Jesus, but more blessed, we are more blessed because we haven't seen him and we have believed. And that's us. That's you and me. We're blessed because we haven't seen him and yet believe in him. Believe in the evidences that he's left us and the promises that he's given to us. So John again in verse 14 there, he tells us in a different way. He's already told us that Jesus is unique, but he tells us in a different way that Jesus is unique. He's not like his other children. He is referred to as begotten, or, uh, meaning only or unique. And although we become children of God, there is none other like the Son of God, Jesus. Lastly, we read that he is full of grace, Grace is that undeserved kindness and truth. And it's not just, again, that partial truth. It's all truth. Nothing but the complete truth. These two are virtues that intermingled, that are, that are always intermingled. Uh, like so many other biblical concepts, you, you can't take one away from the other. Um, the word uh, is not just one or the other. It's 
both balancing each other together. And without one, it's not, it, it won't work. It just doesn't come together like that. So that closes us out for this class. I want to, again, thank you for um, going through, first of all, bearing with us having to be online, but going through John with me. Again, next week we'll also be online, but after that, we're hoping that uh, we'll be back in person together. Thank you all, um, and looking forward to continuing the, the study of John with you. And God bless.